All right, guys, so we are uh, in Acts, but you can choose, turn to Luke chapter 22. That's where we're going to start. Um, we are in our third week in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. Um, we're going to be looking at chapter 3 and 4, but we're going to start in Luke 22, um, verse 54. Um, but let me get you caught up because I think that what we have been going over as a community um, over the last year, starting in January, is really important, but I can't re-preach every single sermon, but I want to continue to connect things together. And so what I want you to hold on to is the phrase that I keep repeating, the thing that all of our values kind of move towards, and that is that the village is about healing the city one person at a time. And when we say that, what we're saying is that we really believe that relationship is transformative and that intimate relationship is what brings healing about. And so we really feel like as we engage with one another and we offer Jesus to one another, healing happens and the world is transformed, our city's transformed, um, and that's really important to us. Now, what we've been talking about as we've discussed all of that is that there's one particular way as we looked at Jesus and we looked at Scripture that we want to offer that healing to each other and to the community around us. And that is through a way of blessing. And what we've basically said is that blessing kind of comes in three parts if you kind of follow the way Jesus engaged people. Blessing comes in that Jesus saw people for who they were. He gave them their humanity. He honored them as as image bearers of God when he engaged people. The second thing is it's very obvious that when Jesus engaged people and offered blessing to them, part of that blessing was just knowing who they were, listening to their story, understanding who they were, understanding what makes them who they are. The third thing that we said in offering healing in this blessing way is simply to be able to call people out and tell them who they are in the kingdom of God. So as we see people and as we call people out, or as we see people and know people, it gives us the opportunity and the ability to call them out. And so that's kind of how we offer healing one person at a time. Now, we just jumped into Acts, which is really looking at the early church and how it expresses Jesus' blessing on the world, the results of the cross and what he was doing. And so one of the things that we learned in Acts chapter 1 that's really important I think I want you to hold on to is that when Jesus was discussing what was going to happen, one of the things he asked the disciples to do was to wait in Jerusalem for something better. And I think that this to come, and something this is kind of an essence of the kingdom of God, that God is constantly asking us as people to wait for something better. Because we're always pushing for something better in the moment. And and the kingdom of God is a lot about, no, wait, there's something better for you. And so he asked the disciples to wait in Jerusalem where everything went down, where he was crucified, to wait for the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, I'm going to leave, but the Holy Spirit is going to come, and the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, and he's going to give you power. And that power is to testify to the truth in Jerusalem and to all the world. Okay, So there's going to be this moment when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And I'll just quickly remind you of that. Because what we've been talking about is that when the Holy Spirit comes in you and connects you to everyone and to God, that's like God taking your hand as a little kid and holding you. 
that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it's like God picking you up and hugging you and giving you a big hug. And so in that hug, in that Holy Spirit coming on you, being filled by the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of different ways of talking about it, good things happen. Good things happen. And what happens is, is that the gospel or the story of Jesus goes out, people are disrupted, and people repent, and truth is said, and a community forms. So you know that the Holy Spirit has come on you when the people around you are being disrupted, when you are when you have courage to call sin sin and speak about truth, and when people are repenting around you. You know then that you've been hugged by the Holy Spirit. You know that you've been filled because the gospel is kind of bursting out of you and you have a courage to speak what's true when you didn't before. Okay? And then we last we last we said that a community forms around you, right? People begin to listen to the teaching of the leaders, begin to be committed to one another, begin to pray together, eat together. Things happen when a community or a person is baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 3 and 4, and it's really Peter's story. And Peter is an apostle, so I want to look at Luke 22 because there's an important scene in Peter's life that I want all of us to wrestle with a little bit. So Jesus has just been arrested. In verse 54 it says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Denied it, Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows, today you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So, can you shut that? Next. So, so Peter is sitting next to the fire. He's followed Jesus and everybody in. And, and what I didn't realize most of the time when I read this was Jesus was actually sitting there. And so as these people question Peter, Jesus is sitting right there. I always thought, oh, Jesus was off somewhere else. No, Jesus is sitting right there, and they're asking him, you're connected to him, right? You're connected. Now, I think all of us have had some kind of experience like this, where we're put on the spot, where there's a consequence for the answer that we have to give. When I, um, in the early 90s, I worked in a catering company. Um, and this catering company uh, it would be a really good sitcom. I mean, it was purchased by this Jewish guy who grew up working, his parents, who were both Jewish, owned an Italian restaurant. And so they were Italian, but he was very Jewish. So he was a Jewish-Italian, but he could never really figure out who he was. Now what he did before he bought the catering company is he flew all over the country selling cloth to like high-end designers. 
Um, and so he'd made a lot of money, and he bought this catering company. And he hired me. And also working there was a pretty popular um, lesbian playwright in Phoenix. I mean, she was still working at a catering company. So she was making a lot of money, but she was pretty well-known in Phoenix. Then there was this transgender guy. And then there was this uh, right-wing conservative Christian lady who was convinced she'd been repeatedly abducted by aliens um, and would drive around in a trailer with a big thing that flipped around the top. Um, and so one day when I'm working, he catches me in the door after I've been there a couple of weeks and he says, you're one of those born-agains, aren't you? And I felt like the whole world just like paused and like all of these people who are waiting to know what I was. Now, I don't know if you know what that means, but it basically means, am I somebody who follows Jesus? But then there's a whole kind of connotation to what that means. Everybody has a lot of definitions for what a born-again is. Now, I was like 20 and a little arrogant, so I did pause for a moment, but I said, yeah, I am. And so for a long time now, but the thing that that did to me is all of a sudden I couldn't be anything else. Like, I had to be a born-again. And so any moral question, I had to answer. I had to answer all, and you can imagine all the different conversations we, I was having. Um, and I knew that when I answered it, that that was going to be like death, because I couldn't hide anymore. Because really all I did at the catering company for a long time was just wash dishes. And it was very easy to hide. But now I was the born-again dishwasher, which is a whole different thing, right? But here's here's Peter... And he's in that moment too. But what is Peter in this moment afraid of? What? Death. He's afraid of dying. He's afraid of being crucified. He's, being, he's, a, he's terrified. Okay? Now, I want to leave Peter here, and we're going to come back to that. Um, but I want to now turn to Acts chapter 3. So you can jump forward to Acts chapter 3. The Holy Spirit has fallen on the community and the early church is starting to just go crazy, okay? And in chapter 3, we jump in with Peter and John. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And this is what happens. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him up, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit and beg at the temple gates called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, first you can see that Peter did what we've been talking about. He followed the blessing procedure, right? Number one, 
he looks at the man. Now, I suspect if there's a man begging, most people do what all of us often do, is we try not to look at the person. Because if we look at the person, then they're going to come on over and find us. And so most people try to walk by. They have business. They're headed into the court of Solomon and they're headed in further into the temple. They've got all these things that they have to do. They're busy with their worship. They don't look at him. But it says the first thing that Peter does and John does is that they look at him. But what's fascinating is not just that they look at him, they tell him to look at them. Like they're like, we want to have a conversation with you and we want your eye contact. Like you're important to us. Okay? Look at me. Right? So the, be- the beggar's like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. What are you going to give me? And Peter says, well, I don't have anything but Jesus. Now, I-, I think that this is really interesting because all of a sudden we have the man who said he has nothing to do with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the thing, the only thing that Peter has is Jesus. The only thing that Peter has is Jesus. And so Peter says, here, let me give you Jesus. And he reaches his right hand. So I guess Peter's right-handed and he's offering him the right hand of fellowship and he lifts him up and he heals him. And this guy goes crazy, right? He goes crazy and he's jumping around. And all of a sudden, a crowd shows up. Now, you have to know that when Peter looks at this man and he's going to use Jesus' name, he knows things are going to happen. He knows he's crossed into a new world. He's now identified himself as a born-again dishwasher, right? That's Life is going to be different, right? So all of a sudden, this huge crowd of people are around him, and he begins to talk about the gospel. He begins to tell people about Jesus because this guy is going crazy. He calls attention to that. And so he talks to them about the gospel. And then we jump to chapter 4. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time. The priest and the captain of the temple guard. You could imagine that person as the secretary of state of the priest. And the Sadducees came up to Peter and John, and they were speaking to, as they, while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in, Je- in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So you can imagine this, this little Christian sect within Judaism is about 10,000 people now. With women, children. It's moving quickly. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account because for account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ, or King Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, by whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, 
which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed, was over 40 years old. So here's Peter and John, but Peter in particular, the one who in the court of the priests denied Jesus is all of a sudden now on the other side of the cross standing in the same place. All of a sudden he has this opportunity to be redeemed. And it's really cool because what you can see here is that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you change. You have a power to do something you didn't have the power to do. And what is that? Peter standing in front of all of the priests saying, guess what, guys? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one who did it. It wasn't me. I'm not worried about you killing me. It wasn't me. It was Jesus who did it. And not only was Jesus who did it, you were the ones who killed him. Like all of a sudden, Peter has this boldness. And what's really cool about this scene is that Peter gets to redeem himself. That God gives him this beautiful opportunity to move from this terrifying moment where he's sure he's going to die if he identifies with Jesus to a point where he doesn't care if he dies in identifying with Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, there is a powerful, transformative experience. Now, there's a couple other interesting things that happen here that we need to take note of. Um, number one is what Peter says. Because if a lot of us were in this situation, here's might be what we said if we thought we were bold. Okay, so here's the problem. You guys are all in the Sanhedrin. You're all Sadducees. You're in bed with the Romans. If we could just get back to original Judaism, we could get a morality back into our community. If we, and even better, we can bring Jesus into this. And, and you could go on and on, right? Because this is what we do. Because what we do when we have a stage like this is we believe somehow that we need to establish our kingdom and our anxieties and our things that we wrestle with a lot of times when it comes to our politics and when it comes to the way we think the world should be, when it comes to facing leaders, what we believe is that we need to somehow speak out 
against how things have changed and how we need, especially in America, to get back to the where the founding fathers did it. And come on, 52 out of 55 of them were Christians. And we get so wrapped up in that that we forget that we don't belong here. We don't belong in this country. We don't belong here. We belong to the kingdom of God. And when Peter is standing there, he's not addressing all of the stuff that's going on and all the crazy things in the community. What he's saying is, a man was healed, and healing is actually the value of the kingdom of God. And Jesus healed him, and he's our king. He's, Christ is king. He's the king of Nazareth. It's about Jesus, and it's about healing. I think what happens is like when the when you when the gospel goes out there are two kinds of responses usually and they happen here right somebody's healed and a bunch of people come to Christ they follow Jesus because all of us are relieved those of us who follow Jesus that we're sinners because if we were if we're sinners and someone comes along and says you're doing great everything's good you're like no no that's that's not true right we're relieved when someone tells us we're a sinner and that there's something that's been done about it. Uh, there's a pardon given to us through Christ. That's relieving to us. So that's one response to the gospel. But the other response is what the Sanhedrin gives them, which is when creation or when healing is right in front of them, when the evidence is front of, in front of them, what they say is, be quiet about Jesus. I don't want, don't talk about him. If you guys will just be quiet, go away. Don't say anything. Get out of here. I have I've hardly ever experienced anybody say, man, you know what? That Jesus, yeah, I believe he existed. I believe he died on the cross. I think probably he might have even died for my sins, but I don't believe it. But hey, I really love you and you ought to try to influence the world and, and we should hang out and talk more and have fun. And No, there's usually two responses to the gospel. Most of the time, I want Jesus or don't talk about Jesus. But the problem is, is that when you and I often are in Peter's place or we're in arguments with people, what we really want is to get people to be in a conversation about Jesus and we want our world and our state and our government to be in a conversation about Jesus and we want Jesus to be our president. But so we make humans do it for us and it's just a mess instead of being about Jesus. And I think this is this is really important. Because it's not just a life and death situation here. It's not just a life and death situation. Because you see, all through our life as we walk with Jesus, you and I are stuck in Peter's situation. Sometimes it's like me when I was at the catering company and someone asked me a direct question. Are you a born again? But a lot of times, the question that you and I are asked is simply, when your daughter wants to be, you know, wants some intimacy, yeah, and some intimacy with you, and wants to sit down and talk to you, and you're like, no, I have other things to do. That's a moment where Jesus is saying, are you going to identify with me, or are you going to identify with you? Because what Peter was doing when he denied Jesus was saying, my safety is what's important. When a dad who is being pursued by his daughter, says, no, something else is more important. It says, I'm more important than you. Therefore, 
I'm not going to align myself with Jesus because Jesus is about other people. Right? When it comes to our wives and our husbands and they're driving us nuts, right? Things are not going well. We're in arguments. So often the core of the argument is, are you going to identify with Jesus or are you not going to identify with Jesus? Because Jesus is about loving the person in front of you and denying Jesus is making it about you and making it about your thing and making it about the way, the things that you want. And so things get worse, right? It's both positive and negative. Our whole Christian life is Peter's little scene of you're with Jesus, right? You're the way, the opportunity to treat your wife a certain way, an opportunity to love on your neighbor, an opportunity to care for someone, an opportunity to discipline your child in the proper way, which means you got to get out of your seat. All those things are opportunities to identify with Jesus or to identify with your own safety, right? We have that Peter experience. That's our life. That's our life. Now, the exciting thing about this story, the thing that gets me really excited, is that the reason that Peter could not identify with Jesus was that Peter did not have the Spirit of God with him, and he was terrified of dying. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you're in a situation where you know God is asking you to do something, and what it feels like is dying. You said, if I have to do that, I'd rather die. Right? That the very thing that you're being asked to do could be just go talk to somebody. Could be that you need to, um, like I said, go talk to your daughter and engage her and have an uncomfortable conversation. Or maybe it's talk to your husband and you know if you ask him a bunch of questions, he's like this well and it'll be like five in the morning because he won't stop talking. And so you'd rather avoid that because that's just terrifying because you won't know what to say. And we could go on and on. Every little situation is like that, except here's the thing. Because of the cross and because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you have an opportunity not just to have the Spirit of God work in you to transform you, you have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come on you to give you power to love your wife, to love your kids, to love your neighbor, to speak truth. You have this opportunity to be like Peter, to to offer Jesus to people. I want Next time that you face something, and and let me just put it this way. I know that as I'm talking, there are two kinds of reactions that are happening. Maybe three. One is, you're like, man, it's hot in here, Eric, hurry up. Um, Two is, you are thinking about, there are some places in your life, you're like, you know what, God is asking me to do something here. And I have been avoiding him because it feels like death. Like it feels like that moment in the courtyard of the priest. What I want you to do is I want you to take this next passage in in Acts and I want you to begin to pray this for yourself and I'm going to pray it over you. But here's what happens in this next passage, um, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. After Peter is kicked out of the Sanhedrin and John and they go home, 
they have a very interesting reaction to being told not to talk about Jesus. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And I really love the way they pray. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had declared beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So, that place that you're at, that place, wherever it is in your life, where you're being asked to identify with Jesus. Maybe it's literally identifying with Jesus. You're at work, you're somewhere, and people want to know that you're a Christian. And, there's the, and, and you need to identify. Or maybe it's simply the way you're living out your life. That God is calling you to some areas where you need to identify with Jesus. You need to act in the way of Jesus. But you're terrified. I love this prayer. Because the way these people start out praying is, God, you're in control of everything. You made everything. It's not about us. In fact, everybody is against you, God. They they planned and they plotted. They did all this stuff. Well, you know what? When Isn't that how a lot of us feel about the struggles in our life? Is that everybody's against us. It's not working out for us. We, we, we don't know what to do. And so what do they ask for? They ask that the kingdom of God will go forward. They say, make us bold. Fill us with your spirit and make us bold. Now, not only bold, they say, we want two things to happen. We want healing to happen. We want miraculous signs to happen. And then we want to go out and be bold. We want to be bold. We want to see signs. We want to be bold. Now, let me just ask this question. Do you ever, is this ever a prayer that you pray? God, my enemies are against me and I want to be really bold and I want healing to happen around me. Anybody pray that? And I want miraculous signs to happen around me and I want to be really bold. No, that's not what I pray. The only time I ever pray this prayer is when I read Acts chapter 4. But let me tell you, life feels like the courtyard of the priest where the woman is like, aren't you with Jesus? I remember standing in that catering company so terrified to say I was born again, which I hate that word. I had to put it on like a badge. I didn't want to. 
I had to talk to my daughter, which I just used as an example recently, about some stuff. And you know what? I didn't want to. There's, there's, there's a lot of things in my life where they feel like that moment in the courtyard where I just don't want to. It feels like death. It feels like I'm exposed. I don't know what to do. Right? Most of my life, I don't know what to do. Most of your life, because I sit with many of you, you don't know what to do. Oh, you're trying to make it work, but Jesus keeps pushing on you. He keeps giving you opportunity after opportunity to identify with Him. So what I would like to do tonight is if you would bow your head and if you would put in your mind the thing that God is asking you to do, the place that He's saying identify with me, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's in some ways that you parent, maybe it's in some sin that you just keep ignoring, and He wants to bring it to light. And I'm going to pray again, but I'm going to pray this over you. So let's pray. Sovereign Lord, You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of Your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, the swamp coolers, the heat, the political systems, the economic systems of Tucson, the enemy conspire against us and has conspired against you, Jesus. But we know that you planned all of the things that come against us and that you are sovereign over all of those things. And now, Lord, consider all that we face, the things that place us in the courtyard of Peter, and enable us to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.